Welcome to Open Matters, an interview series designed to explore the intersection of open source and open standards with folks in our industry. I'm your host, Guy Martin, the Executive Director of Oasis Open. Today, we're going to cover a topic that many of you probably haven't thought of, but that has the potential to impact our society in many ways. Being able to easily and automatically verify the country of origin for physical goods and their components may sound straightforward. However, doing this efficiently has tremendous impact not only on the free trade of goods across borders, but also on other societal issues like reducing our carbon footprint. Joining me today is Todd Smith, the founder and CEO of KYG.Trade, who also serves as the chair for a new project here at Oasis called Origin BX, which is designed to address this need. Todd's an expert in this space, having spent almost 20 years at firms like KPMG and Ernst & Young working on issues of trade compliance. Todd, thanks for joining me today on the show. Thanks, guys. Super excited to be here. Cool, cool. So, Todd, can you give us a little history on the origins, pun intended, of Origin BX? What led to the creation of this project, and who are your major stakeholders? Sure. Um, you know, after serving as a as a consultant uh, with with the big four, serving you know Fortune fifty clients around the world on on trade compliance, the the, the thing that just drove drove me crazy and and you know several of my colleagues was just the amount of time that was required to get our arms around the products that were being imported or exported. And when I say getting our arms around the product, what I mean is in order for us to you know help our clients determine the country of origin of their products or um, the tariff codes which determines the rate of duty for their products, we spent a tremendous amount of time figuring out, you know, how the product was manufactured, bills of materials, um, product images, spec sheets, ingredients, um, and and the way that was done was 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 via email and PDF and attachments. There was no systematic way of doing it. It drove me crazy, and um, it, it it led to the 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 creation and the idea to come up with. Uh, uh, a project, an open standards project that's industry agnostic, government agnostic to help address the problem. Cool, cool. And, you know, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, this isn't really a topic a lot of people really think about, right? I think we just kind of all assume that free trade happens and you know everything works. Yeah. Why is now really the right time to be concerned about the automation of this and the standardization in this area? Well, it's it's um, it's it's really in, a, in a, an amazing time. Um, there are several forces at play that I think are highlighting the the importance of of origin. Um, so they range from government controls. There there is a trend towards more national nationalistic um, politics. Um, we're seeing legislation introduced in the United States. It's happening in other countries too, where there's more emphasis on um, government procurement of goods that are made in the USA in, in our example, but in other countries too. The pandemic has had a lot to do with that because countries uh, and governments uh, learned how dependent they were on supplies and ingredients that um, were sourced offshore. Um, so, so there, there, there are there are trends uh, occurring uh, politically as well as, um, you know, in end consumers are becoming more conscientious of a source of goods that they are consuming, whether they're food or products. 
um, be, be, beyond trade benefits, which we'll get into, as I'm sure you know, there's been a lot of discussion re regarding forced labor and making sure that products that are purchased and consumed aren't made with with forced labor. Um, and then and then last, the, 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 the other what's compounding, I guess, the problem around this is that the, 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 the rules for determining country of origin from an import compliance or governmental reporting purposes is actually quite complex. And at the same time, whereas historically you've had um, big box importers bringing products in in large containers, that the trend has been a tremendous actual shift, an exponential shift to small parcel importations. So, you know, through through e-commerce websites, um, we, we now have hundreds of thousands of importers, small and medium sized importers that are bringing products in in small parcels, express consignment, you know, FedEx, UPS and, and even the mail and our government and other governments have done research and they've learned that a tremendous amount of um, fraud, um, uh, pirated you know, products, um, uh, safety issues, um, and just false reporting of what are in these small parcels is occurring through, through, through this channel. So there were more controls around goods coming in big boxes than there have been historically on goods coming in small parcels. And so the governments are now also introducing stricter controls in the reporting of what's coming in these small parcels. At the same time, you have these hundreds of thousands of merchants that don't understand the complexity of determining what is the correct country of origin that they now have to report or, or, or soon will have to report um, to, to the authorities. So it's, right. it's a long answer, but it, it's, it's a compounding issue of nationalism, you know, tighter controls on, on made in country X, Y, or Z. If not that, just actually knowing the country of origin. Um, and then thirdly, uh, a whole influx of, of importers that don't really understand the rules. So it's for okay. all these reasons, um, you know, that I think the timing has now come to, okay, address this issue of helping all of these small and medium-sized merchants figure it out, but at the same time, solving the, what I call morass of, of emails and PDF attachments that are floating around in redundancy of, of importers asking producers and manufacturers for information about their products so they can they can actually answer these questions on on origin. Okay. Do you think uh, kind of a couple, couple of questions kind of stem from that uh, as I th thought about what you were saying, does this also have the potential ability to level the playing field a little bit for some of these smaller to medium sized importers that don't have kind of the, the larger infrastructure that, that maybe some of the, the big box importers have, but level that playing field in terms of kind of increasing that, that free flow of goods. Absolutely. Um, you know, Surprisingly, even some of the best, most compliant companies in the world, you know, they don't get it right. And, you know, that that that's why I, why I was in business. But but those larger companies have resources and, you know, they can afford to hire expensive consultants to help to help them out. So where 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 this 
Origin Oasis project, this Origin BX Oasis project is going to help level the playing field, is that by coming up with um, an agreed set of specifications and standards around the, the attributes of a product that are needed by experts or smart systems to determine country of origin, by making that a standard that is open source for anybody to, to um, grab out of a GitHub repo and, and deploy it in their own systems or on an e-commerce website, we, we do think that that is going to make it easier for the SMEs to, to figure this out and, and, become, and become more compliant. The, the other way I think that this is going to level the playing field is that there is tension between domestic producers and foreign producers. Mm. Obviously, domestic producers um, want stricter controls on the reporting of country of origin for products that are imported. And it's coming in the form of legislation. Importers and even um, e-commerce merchants and websites are kind of pushing back on this legislation because it's creating more onerous administrative compliance requirements on behalf of the importers. Um, but at the same time, um, a lot of domestic producers are in fact importing uh, raw materials and intermediates that then get finally assembled or manufactured into a product in the United States. But that in itself doesn't necessarily mean that the product is manufactured or made in the USA, again, because of the complexity of not only the U.S. Customs Import Rules and Regulations, um, but, but, but the you know, FTC. So it will level the playing field because there are actually lots of U.S. manufacturers that will put a label made in the USA when, in fact, under the, the regulations, it may not be because of inputs that weren't disclosed mm. properly. So we think it's going to this project and the awareness around it is, is going to help level the playing field on both sides of that of that battle. And then from a, that's great that you mentioned that. And then from the kind of the consumer perspective, I almost look at this as, as you mentioned, you know, throw a label on it that says made in the U.S. when it's really not. Is this also going to help consumers at some point kind of look at this as a truth and average truth and labeling, right? We have, we have, we have no, we have standards, you know, government standards around truth and food labeling, for example. Do you think this has the same potential impact um, on just, you know, truth and labeling about what's in a product and where it came from? Absolutely. Um, consumers, regulators, even financial institutions that may provide lending incentives through a reduction in interest rates, you know, for letters of credit or, or you know, or, or borrowed funds, you know, based on country of origin. Um, it, it, it's, it's going to help improve that visibility. Now, we're seeing a tremendous increase in, in track and trace platforms using blockchain technology primarily mm -hmm. that consumers are starting to, to, to utilize, you know, with QR codes on products, you know, where they can actually see from farm to table is how a lot of these platforms are advertised, you know, where a, um, uh, a food product, for example, is sourced. All right. So we have the ability to, to, to do this today with technology, with track and trace. 
I would submit that most of those platforms are most effective if it's a product that doesn't undergo processing or combining with other materials. The origin project that we're working on is really solving the more complex manufactured product. So think of a finished product with thousands of intermediates or parts or even more than a dozen. if the inputs are coming from multiple sources or if the raw material is getting processed and then split and distributed and multiplied, um, those track and trace type platforms, you know, lose their ability to go down to raw material. I mean, if it's, if it's lettuce coming out of a ground, it's easy to track and trace, you know, but if it's steel or, or oil, right, that gets processed and consumed in an ingredient that is combined with other products, it, it's a lot harder to do. And, and that, that, that we're, we're solving for that type of complexity. Okay, cool. No, that, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, you know, as, as I think through this and as we've had our discussions, when you started this project, you know, clearly this is really important work, uh, especially as it relates to free exchange and trade of goods worldwide. But can you kind of touch on some of the deeper reasons, and you hinted at them earlier, but some of the deeper reasons on why this work is important. Um, I, you know, you've used examples in the past with us about, you know, reduction in carbon footprint, redu- reduction in, you know, forced labor, those sorts of things. What other areas, societal and, and, and other sort of ancillary benefits do you see to this work? Well, I think those, those, those are major ones. I mean, th- th- there are lots of companies well, you may be familiar in the United States, there was a conflict minerals law that was passed, gosh, maybe 10 years ago. And publicly traded companies need to report um, on their annual filings, um, you know, whether or not there are any conflict minerals used in the production of their goods. Um, today, because of forced labor issues, the Uyghurs, um, there's, there's a lot, there's a spotlight, you know, because it involves humans. And, mm-hmm. and so... From a societal standpoint, I think what we're doing is is very important from 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 that standpoint. But in a more macro sense, I think one of the other big benefits is the ability for more traders, more importers and exporters, whether they're large or they're SMEs, small and medium enterprises, especially from developed and developing countries, to be able to utilize free trade agreements. And when I say utilize free trade agreements, what that does is it makes their products, if, if their products qualify for free trade benefits, it makes their products more competitive. And if it makes their products more competitive, then the intended benefit of free trade agreements is to lift GDP and lift mm-hmm. the economies you know, of countries that are involved in these free trade agreements many of which are developing in lesser developed countries. So from a broad macroeconomic standpoint, if we can help small merchants in um, countries where there are free trade agreements in place, and if we can help them get through and cut through the complexity of, compl- of, of qualifying their products for these free trade benefits, which is extremely complex. Um, I mean, I'll just give you an example. Um, Every every free trade agreement, you know, has a, a a rule for qualifying a product for the free trade benefits. It's called a rule of origin. There there could be in the automotive industry, for example, 
my 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 calculations are there there are probably two thousand different rules of origin for parts and components that go into an automobile that's why i was hired and made a living you know a living at at, at the big four i mean this is complex stuff so that's just automotive so if we can help you know small merchants that don't have access to expensive consultants who really understand the complexity of qualifying their goods and i'm, I'm talking about complex manufactured goods not just as i mentioned earlier you know a vegetable coming out of the ground but you know for components and raw materials and manufactured goods if we can break through the complexity and streamline reduce the cost reduce the hassle and 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 make it easier for them to qualify their goods for free trade then then they're going to benefit you know as, as a merchant but also as as a country by by lifting their gdp and that's that's really cool. exciting yeah, no, it is exciting. And I kind of wanted to circle back on something really quick because you sort of mentioned it in passing, but how is this done today? Because it seems <laughs> like the way it's done today, from what you've told me, is just it, it just mind-boggling in 2021 that this is still the way it, these kinds of things operate. It, it is mind-boggling. So, so think about this. There are approximately 20 trillion in manufactured goods that trade borders every year. I mean, that could go up and down depending on trends or, or pandemics. So it's, it's getting close to 20 trillion a year. Um, in, in the U.S. alone, granted, a very big economy, you know, roughly 17, there, there are 17 billion, I would say, in, in benefits available to importers. Benefits in the way of reduced or elimination of import duties if their products qualify. All right, so this is this is big, right? So yeah, we're right, we're right. talking, and we think that probably fifty percent of 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 all importations actually would qualify for these benefits if the importers, you know, were were able to understand the rules around them, or they were willing to just spend the time and effort administratively to figure out if their products qualified, but they don't, you know, so, so there's like, you can look at maybe 8 billion a year is just being left on the table. And this is just in the U S alone, just because of the complexity. And as I mentioned earlier, the amount of time involved to figure this out. And again, how do you figure out if your product qualifies? It actually starts with, with a review of, of, of the bill of materials of a product, as I mentioned earlier, um, ingredients, production processes, steps in the production process. This is the type of information that has to be evaluated in order to determine if you if your product qualifies, if it passes a rule of origin under a free trade agreement and thereby entitles you to free trade benefits. So right. there's just a, a massive amount of emails and PDFs floating up and down the supply chain to you know for for experts and, and compliance professionals to figure out how the product is produced so that they can then determine if the product qualifies that's how so it's essentially done manual how intervention it's done it, manual it's, intervention and reading pdfs basically there is no systemic way today of 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 grabbing product attribute data and then ingesting that attribute data into what i call a a smart um 
FTA Oracle, you know, that would be driven by AI and ML that would that, that would produce a result. Yes, your product qualifies or not. I mean, wow. some companies <laughs> have paid lots of money to implement systems that will do this for their products, you know, products that they control the bill of materials because they're the producer. In those cases, they're, they're, and it's few and far between, um, there are systems out there that will do this, but it takes a lot of time and effort when rules change. When you know NAFTA became USMCA, it was a complete rewrite for many industries of, of how those systems worked. So it's it's extremely complex, lots of paperwork involved, and not only are probably half of the benefits going untapped. I would say actually, you know, there's there there are studies that the World Customs Organization has done that indicate somewhere between 17 to 22 percent of companies that are claiming free trade agreement benefits have risk. Because those studies have shown that when they report that the product qualifies for a free trade agreement under customs audit, retrospectively, they find that the product, in fact, did not qualify for the free trade agreement. So, so there's inefficiencies all around. You know, there's 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 money being left on the table because of the effort involved in the complexity. At the same time, there's risk for those that do take. Um, the benefit, but in fact, their products don't qualify. So you import a product today, you tell the government that it qualifies for a free trade agreement benefit. You have to wait five years for customs to possibly come back and audit that claim and, and, and determine if it was true. Five years. Now, other countries, they have a three-year, it's called a statute of limitation or look-back period. You know, so if customs audits you, they're going to, what are they going to do? They're going to send you an email or they're going to send your import, your, your broker an email with a request for information in the form of a PDF that has a list of questions. And then you are going to either have your lawyer or you're going to hire a, a consultant, you know, from a big four that's going to start gathering information about the product and the import that could have occurred four years ago. So how are you going to do that? It's how we did it today. It's email, PDF, you know, to the buyer's agent, to the distributor, right? To the producer, to, to the supplier. And it goes through countries up and down. And it, it just, it, it could take weeks, months to prepare all that information and, and figure out what happened three or four years ago. So again, the, the, the project that we're working on is going to create a standard around how companies um, report um, product attributes and provide product attributes to to their participants, their customers, their suppliers in the supply chain, and even the government authorities, the customs authorities, to make this whole process way more efficient. And it's going to enable using blockchain technology, again, open source techniques um, and processes for um, maintaining the location, you know, of source records that may need to be retrieved and accessed um, for future audit purposes. That's a, That's another, you know, goal, goal of our project. 
Cool. No, I mean, it, it's just really interesting to me. The more I talk to you about this and when you first came to us, you know, obviously I knew very little about this and just hearing you talk and says, I'm glad our viewers are going to get a chance to see this because it's just interesting to me how kind of deep it goes. And you wouldn't think about it just looking at it on the surface. Oh yeah. You know, country of origin. Great. But it, it's got so many layers and, and, and aspects to it that it, it's really interesting to me how it, how it all kind of fits together. Um, so Let's shift gears a little bit. You know, I'm always interested in the reasons that projects come and, and choose to come to Oasis. You know, and I know that part of that is, is what we're really proud of, the lightweight and flexible governance model that we've built for standards and open source. But was that the only reason you chose to bring Origin BX here? Was there anything else that really attracted you to want to come and work with Oasis on this? Well, um, first of all, you know, I, I you know, shout out to my former, uh, you know, firm that, that I retired from EY. They, they were doing work with Oasis. They're, they're, um, you guys are sponsoring the baseline project, which, which mm -hmm. is a project, a blockchain project, as I'm sure you know. Um, that's an open source project that EY uh, was heavily in or is heavily involved in, as far as I know. And so that's that's how I learned about um, about about um, Oasis and I saw the success, you know, that that you had in bringing competitors that had a common interest in solving a problem that would benefit, you know, their their ecosystem come together in a um, non-threatening open format to achieve a desired result. And, you know, this origin um, conundrum that we have is is bigger, you know, than one industry or company. It's it's bigger than one government, you know, one country. Um, and we needed a, a a a a format and a platform that would be non-threatening that would invite what I call co-opetition, mm -hmm. you know, of industry players to feel comfortable about working together to solve this issue. And, and, you know, I, I couldn't be happier, you know, that, that you and your team, uh, which is really marvelous has, has embraced the idea and, uh, you know, is, and remains enthusiastic about the potential of the project, because I mean, this, you know, Todd Smith alone would never have been able, you know, to organize, you know, a project like this. I, I, I don't have any credentials whatsoever, you know, in running an open project, you know. And so, you know, ha having the 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 reputation and the background and, you know, real life projects that you guys have done under your belt that are global, you know, they're not just U.S. centric, you know, was, was terrific. And um, yeah, this this would not have happened, you know, without without Oasis and. It's it's exciting that we got the project kicked off. Um, I, I don't know if if you you want to get into who some of the players are and some of the supporters are, but um, yeah, absolutely. I was actually going to ask you that next, so you're you're one step ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So um, yeah, we we've gotten a really uh, great cross section of companies to be uh, founding sponsors of of the project, and I don't. It, you know, there's a lot of them. I'm not gonna be able to mention all of them, but some of the the you know ones that I'm really excited. I'm excited about all of them, but you know we we got we got um, IBM, you know that's that that agreed to sponsor the project. 
Um, and, and that's, that's obviously uh, a great testament to an acknowledgement of the problem that we're trying to solve. We got UPS, obviously a, a global trader, global player, um, not a trader, but a facilitator, you know, of, of packages. And they're also a big broker. Um, we got Amazon, which obviously is, you know, one of the world's largest e-commerce, you know, B2C e-commerce platforms um, to sign up. We've gotten the consulting firm Accenture um, to, to sign up. Thomson Reuters is, is a big, is a big sponsor, you know, so these, these are, you know, really large companies that are involved in international trade that are all also dealing with the, you know, the issue around origin, you know, they're, they're dealing with the emails, they're dealing with the manual processes. And, uh, we all agree, you know, that there's gotta be a better way. Again, the beauty of this is just the fact that we have this cross section of companies that are coming together. Um, to help um, with with the project. One other sponsor that I, I, I definitely want to shout out to um, is the International Chamber of Commerce, um, which is headquartered yes. in, in in Paris. And you know, we're we're also talking, and there's a lot of interest from the World Customs Organization itself and the World Trade Organization, um, the the WEF, even U.S. Customs is is watching the project closely. And, you know, for organizations, global organ, I should also mention the World Bank, um, but, you know, for large global policy setting organizations, you know, I, I thought the International Chamber of Commerce would want to serve as an observer, but instead they actually wanted to, and they did, you know, become a sponsor. And the reason for that is that the ICC itself has a very strong digital standards initiative. Um, it's run by a gentleman named Oswald out of Singapore. And, you know, his, his goal is to drive digital standardizations within trade. And he saw this project as fitting right within, you know, that mandate of his. And he he wanted to send the right signal and messaging to the world of trade that this is an important project and, you know, beat the drum loudly. And so he he said that he, he wanted to do that by actually being a, a paid sponsor. And he's a, <clears throat> in the ICC is a member of our, our governing board. So, what we're doing now, and uh, I hope I'm not going too far, you know, down down your list of questions. But what we're doing <laughs> is we're evolving now from this initial set of sponsors, and we're now in the process of forming industry-specific working groups. Mm -hmm. And 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 you know that's going to be very important because each industry has its own nuances and set of requirements in the way they go about determining origin of their products right. or the way they go about determining, you know, their ESG environmental sustainability, social and governance claims for their products. You know, so if it's conflict minerals and, and you're a technology company, you know, the way you're going to look at how you, um, attest to conflict minerals that may be different from a mining and minerals company or an apparel and footwear company. So these working groups that we're in the process of forming are going to be verticals. And, you know, we've, we've formed our mining and minerals and ESG working group, and uh, we're in the process of forming additional working groups in electronics and technology, apparel and footwear, um, automotive and soon uh, pharmaceuticals and biotech. Right.
That's great. Well, yeah, and you you just hit upon the first part of my kind of one of my final questions is you know what are you what are you doing beyond the initial launch? So thank you for that. You answered that. Um, in addition to that, can you tell folks out there who may be seeing this how you get involved? If this is something they think their company is interested in, how do they get involved? Well, um, OriginBX-Oasis.org uh, um, is is the landing you know page for everything around the OriginBX uh, project. So if you okay. type in OriginBX, BX for blockchain exchange, although we've evolved from you know blockchain exchange, um, or you just type in Oasis, go to your website. The Oasis website has information on this project, and there are places where you can you can sign up uh, to volunteer to be a member of one of our working groups or a sponsor. Come one, come all from all industries. You know this is this is going to be right. a big growing project. We hope to have our first deliverables. You know on on a message set later this year. It's and and, and those are going to be made available on on GitHub. Um, your viewers can feel free to email me directly. And so I am Todd at KYG.io. I'm sure that information will be made available. Yeah. So reach out to Oasis, go to the Origin BX website, um, reach out to me directly and just let us know you're interested in getting involved somehow. Cool. And, you know, actually, Todd, you brought up a great point sort of in there that I want to highlight to folks is that this is one of our open projects. So you don't have to be a member of Oasis to participate. Now, if your company wants to to sponsor, get on the project governing board, help, you know, basically move this work forward from a sponsor standpoint, you can absolutely do that, but you don't need to be a member to come in and make contributions. It's really part of the beauty, I think, of the of the open projects model is we want wide participation. Cool. Okay. Um, so, you know, any here's an opportunity, Todd, any final thoughts or comments? You've, we've covered a lot of ground, obviously really exciting stuff, but anything you want to leave our viewers with? No, I just, I just, I just hope that um, something that you heard, you know, during during this uh, this interview, you know, makes you want to get involved, you know, because um, number one, it's cutting edge work that we're working on. It's really going to change the way um, trade compliance and ESG compliance works. It's going to make life and our industry more efficient, and again, it's going to lift economies in the lesser developed and developing countries. And so it's a great cause. And so, yeah, I, I just hope, you know, we get more people to, to jump in and, and help out with the creation of these standards. Cool. No, I, I completely agree. It's fantastic, Todd. You know, thanks a lot for joining me today. I'm always super interested kind of as from an engineering recovering, jokingly say a recovering engineer here, I'm always interested in how the intersection of technology and the physical world plays out. And this is one of the most, you know, uh, big, the biggest example I've seen of that. Um, and I think cool. Origin BX has an important role to play, you know, in helping us keeping the keep the free flow of goods moving across borders, both now and in the future. So, again, super excited to see where this takes us all. Um, so thanks again, Todd, for joining Very us. Cool. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you, Guy. I appreciate it. And, you know, shout out to all, all you folks at Oasis. You guys are doing just a, a fantastic job. So thank you. Thank you all. Appreciate that. Thank you. So folks, if you want to learn more about the Origin BX work or other Oasis projects, as Todd mentioned, you can find us at oasis-open.org. Let's continue this conversation on Twitter at, at Oasis Open. Once again, everybody, until next time, thanks for listening.